Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. and Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. And it's hot, sweltering Wisconsin. Uh, we are recording this Thursday morning, and uh, we are sans Robert Craig, who is on vacation. Uh, a rare vacation for Robert. He'll be gone the next uh, two weeks. But we have Rebecca Lynch back, back from New York City or wherever... <laughs> Around the country, she's been traveling on behalf of the Working Families Party. Rebecca Lynch, good to see you. It's good to be back. So where have you been, Rebecca? You've been doing so much. I, I and, and actually, it's very fitting that I would ask this question because I do know you have been working a lot on the presidential for Working Families Party, and that is the topic I want to start talking about because we have to talk about what's been going on this week um, with Trump, right? It's just been... It's it's been further uh, reminder to us just of this crazy, um, unbelievable time we live in, and also what we're headed to as far as this presidential election and why this election is so important. Um, but so what have, what have you been up to, Rebecca? Uh, I've been all over. Um, I was in San Francisco meeting with uh, movement activists from across the country who are part of an effort to replace bad sheriffs with better ones. So I got to talk a lot about Milwaukee and hear about really cool things that are happening from California to, you know, the South, all over the place. It was really exciting. Um, and then I was in Nashville oh, nice. meeting with some activists. And we actually, Working Families Party, just did our first Nashville endorsement. Uh, Jacola Lane, who's a police accountability activist, is running for Metro Council at large there. And that election's August 1st. So helping out Jacola, if anyone wants to text, volunteer text from afar, you can. And uh, yeah, mostly I've just been working on the presidential stuff um, for for our organization. I mean, the other thing that I do as well is we train women around the country to run campaigns. So I did that in Iowa for a couple couple days, which was awesome. And I got to meet some really great folks out there. And then we did it in Queens as well. A lot of women who were fired up having come off of AOC's campaign and going on to Tiffany Caban's um, dis uh, district attorney race. But most of what I've been doing is the presidential stuff. And that is really exciting and really important. It's, it's extremely exciting and extremely important you just mentioned AOC and she um, is at the center of everything Trump is trying to do this week and and let let's be clear uh, Trump is is fully in campaign mode uh, with what's going on want to get your initial response to you know what we've witnessed this week and again we record Thursday morning so um, we have just gone through, uh, last night, Trump's campaign rally. So it's sort of at least to let listeners know where, what place in time we're having this conversation where um, uh, Trump and his support, Trump supporters chanted, uh, send her back, speaking of uh, 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 Omar, not, uh, not AOC, but still, obviously, same issue trying to uh, rev up the base. Um, but it's been an incredibly busy week in terms of what Trump's been up to. Your thoughts on it, especially given how immersed you are in thinking about this presidential election. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I think it's important to go back like maybe a week or so in context and talk about how this started. And it actually really started with Nancy Pelosi. And what we saw was um, Democratic Party leadership and centrist Democrats really trying to denigrate and isolate 
these four congresswomen who are um, in the freshman class are, you know, movement leaders, really popular across the country, have huge followings, won incredible upsets in their districts. And, um, you know, what Speaker Pelosi was trying to do was kind of um, put them in a box. Uh, I think that there are members of Congress who are like threatened by their following. I also think that there are members of Congress who are aligned with Republicans on issues that impact our most vulnerable communities and they call themselves a problem solving caucus or whatever whatever caucus they're in and they've been getting pressure from folks um, who are really concerned about family separation in particular what's happening at the border um, children dying at the border the camps the trump camps that people are in um, but also these ice raids and so they were getting a lot of heat not just from the, those four congresswomen i actually you know want to shout out uh, our own congressman uh, mark Buchan, yep. who's part of the congressional progressive caucus who was really clear about you know what it meant for democrats to align with republicans on things like you know funding ice and so uh Speaker Pelosi chose to try to defend those, you know, centrist Democrats from attacks on the left, um, but in doing so kind of took a broad swipe at these four women, you know, said they didn't have, you know, followers outside of Twitter, basically, that there were only four votes. And I think, you know, what that did was, first of all, it was meant to kind of like put them down. Marginalize but it, them. Marginalize yeah, them. Absolutely. But it also completely dismissed all the people yeah. who really believe in them, including the people who elected them in their districts. Um, you know, they won these upset elections. They have, you know, millions of people who support them in their districts. Um, some and, of these districts are very large. And AOC took out a leader in particular, right, who who was aligned with Pelosi. And I'm, That's I'm, totally yeah. part of it. <laughs> yeah. Totally part absolutely. of it. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, and and they do have followings um, outside of their districts too. And by dismissing Twitter or social media, you're dismissing uh, in large part a whole generation, yeah. um, but also people of color. I mean, they're just like really they've inspired a lot of people, including a lot of women, and they're speaking truth to power in a way that really resonates with the base. And instead of gravitating towards that, uh, party leadership is kind of rebelling against it. Well, the other thing is, you know. Everything you said about how inspiring they are and how inspiring they are not only, you know, to their where they're from, right, their districts and their communities, but just to progressives on the left, right? I mean, they are supportive of a lot of these issues that Bernie Sanders uh, in the last presidential and uh, really injected into the mainstream, whether it be uh, Medicare for all, a whole bunch of things, free college, right? And they're on that vanguard, too. And so there's a whole bunch. There's a movement, a lot of us, a lot of our listeners included, who are very sympathetic, right? And and so she's picking a fight much more broadly than just trying to marginalize those four. And I think you're, that, that's what you're saying here. And I think that's absolutely right. And so Trump then, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, let's, so let's, yes, let's, Trump I, I got supercharges everything. Yeah. yeah. So but I that's mean, an important dynamic. And I'm really glad that you brought that up, that this was a t split that was already occurring and Trump took advantage of. Yeah. I mean, that's what started it. It really was. Um, and, you know, yeah, the, the president then seized on that narrative, um, trying to isolate them. And I think... Uh, you know, from there just got like increasingly racialized and like frightening. And so, you know, what he said, and, you know, we could talk about it more in the context of the rally that you mentioned in a minute, but, you know, that they should go back to where they came from, that yeah. their countries desperately need them when three of these four women were born in this country. And the fourth, Congresswoman Omar, um, I think came here when she was 11. This is, this yeah. is you know, where she's from. Um, and, 
you know, said they should go back. Also, there's like red baiting, you know, like I don't know if they're communists. And so it's just really um, a lot of the familiar tropes that we've seen, um, you know, racist, misogynist, red baiting and uh, really kind of like shocking and frightening stuff that, you know, caused him to get rebukes not only from Democrats, but from Republicans. But he seems to be doubling down on that rhetoric. Yeah, it seems to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, that there's two, two broadly two things he's trying to do this week, um, and you saw it play out at the rally, is he wants to stir up his base on race, and he's been completely unabashed for the last couple of weeks on this, but this week with the tweets and everything that we just talked about. And that is just supercharging his base. But then... This effort to try and bring in the sense that you're anti-American, socialist, that you're not really from here, right, beyond just the race, and get into where he's really trying to scare people about what I would describe as the Bernie Sanders or our agenda and sort of conflate the two so that he's, he's really trying to scare, I would say, some of the suburban Republican voters that like are appalled by him, to be blunt. And, and, and quite frankly, are at risk and could cost them the election, right? So Wisconsin, for example, the Milwaukee suburbs, the Green Bay suburbs, right? A lot of areas where we have sort of suburban areas, Eau Claire. These areas are, are at great risk. It's Evers did very well in these areas, and Trump is stirring a lot of the anti-Republican uh, sentiment there that's been moving Democratic. Does this, particularly this thing where he's trying to scare them with leftist policies, I think is an effort to try and get them to, again, like last cycle, hold their nose, but hopefully go continue to vote for him um, because they feel like they represent something that's scary left or whatever. I don't know that it's going to work, but I think that that's clearly what's going on here. But... Um, we're, we got to go to a break. When we come back, I, I want to talk more about this, uh, just Trump and the strategy and what we're witnessing uh, here. And then also we should mention about Sean Duffy and how he's stepped into it. Um, so, again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. I should say um, that later on in the show we're also going to be joined uh, by uh, one of our members, State Representative uh, Amanda Stuck. Who, is announced, who announced this week she's running for Congress. So we're, we're really excited to have her. We'll have her on later in the show. Again, you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Rebecca, we were talking about the presidential election. We, uh, we went through and review, uh, reviewed your travels around the country, helping organize so we can uh, take down Trump. But before the break, we were talking about this incredibly supercharged environment, uh, Trump, uh, this week. Uh, Sean Duffy. Sean Duffy uh, stepped into it uh, in a big way this week. Um, he tried to come to the defense of Trump. And uh, with this really... <sighs> Poorly, poorly worded at, at best. This is being very generous to him. Uh, effort to try to say somehow that Trump's comments weren't racist, which seems to be the Republican Party line because he didn't somehow mention race or something. It's like this really 
really weird, twisted logic that I believe many of his children would not believe if he, daddy tried to tell them that. Um, but uh, also then he he seemed to, it's unclear, call call the, the, the four congresswomen un-American, anti-American actually, and then seemed to try to walk this stuff back this week. Rebecca, this... Duffy, Duffy's fairly low profile for someone who is on MTV, but this seems to be, um, is this smart? Is this smart politics on his part to jump in? Or is this just another misstep that actually should make Sean Duffy maybe vulnerable? Depends on who his audience is and what his goals are. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot to be gained by stepping into the limelight and being and and being like a and stepping into the limelight and being hard right and like you know using racialized language and it you can gain that in terms of an online following in terms of donations so if he's trying to raise his profile as someone who's kind of like lockstep with the president i mean who knows maybe he's trying to endear himself to president trump so that he gets hired by him or like, so yeah. he has other perks. I mean, I don't, I really don't know, but, um, I do think that it, it's, the, it's a strategy that could backfire in the district. Um, if, if opponents can, can seize on it, you know, I don't know. It's just, a, I mean, just, I don't yeah. know what his strategy is. Yeah, no, I, I just, he's a reality TV star. So I, if his strategy is to get, to do something outrageous, to get attention, which is what reality TV stars do, <laughs> then like, successful yeah yeah exactly well so let's get back to trump (laughs) right in the in the broader discussion here so obviously trump is stirring all of this how if how if if uh if we were to look at the democratic candidates actually for a second here um their responses how how would you if you're advising democratic presidential candidates right like how, how does one operate in this environment right now because you know, just to say, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. It's racist, all this, right? Like, it, it's, you it just shake your head. It just seems so obvious, but yet the other side can't seem to understand what's going on. I don't know. I'm just, I'm increasingly feeling like this polarization, like we're headed towards something kind of frightening in 2020. But your thoughts as someone who's been thinking a lot about this from the Democratic side, how do we, like, actually get a progressive elected? What what ought to be happening uh, from the presidential candidates? You know, it's an, it's an interesting question. I didn't think that we were going to talk about this, and I haven't been fo- I really haven't paid attention to what the response has been from most of the candidates. Um, just wasn't something I was tracking. Yeah. But I remember that almost right away, Senator Warren came out and said something, um, and I actually have it right here. She said, you know, let's be clear about what this vile comment is, a racist and xenophobic attack on Democratic Congresswomen. And she had tweeted that, uh, I think, pretty much right away. And that struck me because I think there's such a hesitancy um, in the Democratic Party to call racist things racist or to call a person or their words or actions racist. And that was like what was so interesting about what took place um, on the House floor, right, where you had this resolution that was for the first time in I think over 100 years condemning a pres- sitting president for violating decorum yeah. of House rules um, and in doing so called him and his statements racist. And so much of the debate from the Republican side was, how dare you call him racist, right? Like, that's, like, so hurtful. Don't do that. And so it, it's, so the fact that Senator Warren said, let me be clear, this is racist, uh, 
is is shouldn't be taken for granted that that's like a normal thing. Well, Pelosi, I think, even got caught in this double step where she was saying, "No, I it's the comments are racist. I didn't say he's a racist." Or it's like, what? Really? I mean, <laughs> I, I to some extent, I feel like media is being even more bold than in, in some cases the politicians are because most a lot of the media is just calling these racist comments, right? Which is it's it's helpful, I think, because there is a definite deliberate effort on the other side to try and separate out the race from this stuff, which is just amazing to me. And I, like I said, and the reason I asked you the question is, like, I am a bit dumbfounded how you respond, because like when I first heard all this stuff, it's just like, oh, it's so obvious to me. But then when you read like people who ought to know better, you know, trying to somehow separate race from this is just amazing to me and uh, you know it makes me very scared for sort of where we're headed as a country with this fissure and and that we have a president who in when this happened in the uh the rally last night uh with us uh, send her back did nothing to put it down nothing to tamp it loved that it was happening right whereas if we recall a decade earlier john mccain was shutting it down saying, no, 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 these are good Americans. We just have disagreements. Right? This is a fundamental shift. So I, I legitimately, not 100% sure, I, you know, I, we're these presidential candidates. How do you like, have the right amount of outrage and actually cut through and start to, to get some serious traction on hurting this guy on this? And I'm just not 100% sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're finding out this country really is like close to 50-50 on literally on race, right? Which is would be disturbing. Well, there was um Bree Newsom Bass, who's a artist, filmmaker, activist, um, who is most famous or is is in part um well known uh because she was arrested for trying to remove the Confederate flag off of the I think it was the South Carolina Capitol or, or yeah. some government building. Um, she tweeted something out that said something along along the lines of, you know, what's so incredible about the squad, as these four congresswomen are called, and this moment is that it is really um, taking aim at what she called the bipartisan white supremacist power structure, right? And so I think like what we have in both parties, and like we talk about all the time, right, is um, there's there's this overall, and, and for folks who are like unfamiliar with the language, right, like white supremacy is the structure, yep. right, and it's the structure that like is overarching over um, our political parties, over our government, over our economic system, on and on, and so I think that's part of what we're seeing, right, and and what they're upsetting, but uh, I, I don't know, I mean, there was um, Alan Omar. Um, Congresswoman uh, tweeted out a quote from Toni Morrison that said, the purpose of racism is to distract. And she's like, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to keep fighting for $15, I think is what she was talking about. And I think um, it is to distract. I think he's he's making a play to to bring out his base. And I think that what would be wise is for people who think that this is racist or think that we should close the camps or think we should abolish ICE should just say so um, and be true to who they are and 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 organize our folks. Because I, I think that there is, um, I think that he represents a very well-organized racist 
cohort in this country, but I don't think that it's the entire country. And I think where Democrats lose is when they kind of like water down their messaging or don't stand in solidarity with, you know, these young, dynamic congresswomen of color who are really inspiring the nation. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right on. I I, I think what's happening here is we're headed into a presidential where race is going to be it's going to be the issue we 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 here will make health care we want it to be a defining issue but race is going to cut through everything and we need to have us as you said an honest conversation it can't be ducked um and it won't be enough just to talk about the other issues we do need to talk about those other core issues whether that be health care what's happening in the economy right basically the corruption of power and money over regular people but this election, Trump is going to demand that we have a, a race conversation and, and that it be central to every level of, of, of discussion, I think, in this election. Because if we try to duck it, I think we will lose this election again. Um, I think it ha you're absolutely right about that. We have to be upfront about it. So um, I, yeah. just, I think that's what the challenge of this last week is. It's like anyone who thought we could somehow just focus on, you know, the issues that are breaking for, for Democrats, right? Like, and, and just stay focused on them only and not talk about how race is destroying and impacting, and impacting all these issues, or as you mentioned, white supremacist culture. Um, it's just, uh, I, we're, we're, I think we're in for some hurt. Um, so anyways, uh, I don't know if you have any final thoughts. We got a little just bit before the break. Just super quick yeah. that like one of the more stupid arguments that I've heard uh, from political folks on this is that they are like giving a political gift to President Trump because they're giving him like, you know, a brand that he could launch against um, to be against the Democratic Party. Republicans are going to be against someone. Yep. It's been Nancy Pelosi. It'll probably be Nancy Pelosi again. Right now, it's these four congresswomen. Soon we're going to have a Democratic nominee or we're going to have yep. more of a front runner. I mean, this is what... This is what they're going to do. So I, I don't think anyone should lose sleep over that. They think Tony Evers is a socialist, right? So come on, right? Like, <laughs> so let's get real here. It doesn't matter who runs. They're going to run the same stuff out. Anyways, we got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. When we come back, we have a special guest. We're going to be joined by our member, Amanda Stuck, who's announced this week she's running for Congress. You're listening to Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action, and um, we are really excited about this next segment. We have a special guest with us. It's a Citizen Action member, and that is State Representative Amanda Stuck. Amanda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you, and uh, we're having you because you had big news this week. You announced that... Uh, you're running for Congress. We're super excited about that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about why you chose to run for Congress? Sure. Well, certainly the same reason I chose to run for Congress is the same reason I got, in got involved in politics in the first place, it was really just because I see how working families like mine continue to be underrepresented in politics and how those making decisions don't really understand what they're doing, how it impacts families like mine who are just working hard every single day trying to get ahead. And the final deal breaker for me was when I received a letter from a man named Len who was telling me about his wife who had survived breast cancer. And now they were finding it hard to find affordable health insurance and how he is really concerned about what will happen if protections for people with pre-existing conditions goes away. 
he knows that they just will not be able to afford insurance at all if that happens. And he had said he had written Mike Gallagher and he had not heard anything back. And for me, that was one of the final straws because people deserve to have their representatives call them back when they reach out with stories like that. Yeah, and that's that's a critical issue too, right? That's a fundamental issue that we've been fighting over the last, well, the last couple of years uh, in particular. So I assume that will be a central part of, of this campaign, Gallagher's position yeah. on the ACA. Yep. I mean, he has voted against protecting people with pre-existing conditions, and I'm hearing it everywhere. Just the other day, I was at Schneider Trucking thinking I would be hearing about transportation infrastructure. But honestly, one of the things that came away with was a gentleman who was sharing his story about his daughter who has severe eczema and her injections cost $36,000 a year. They're looking at having to pay $600 a month and they simply can't afford that. Wow. That's unbelievable. Um, you want me to get closer to the mic? Sorry. Um, can you hear, can yeah, you, we, can you hear me yeah. on the phone? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, wow, that's a really horrible and unbelievable story. Um, you know, Representative Stuck, I, you know, really first got familiar with you and your work um, around what was happening with jobs in the Fox Valley, um, particularly around, you know, the paper industry and what, you know, you know, what's happening with the economy, what's happening with those businesses, but also the Republican response in Madison. And I wonder, you know, I know that's an uh, issue deeply held um, and close to your heart. And I wonder what you see as your role in continuing to advocate for, you know, creating and keeping jobs in the Fox Valley when you are in Congress. Yeah, this is definitely an issue that's important to me. My husband's a sheet metal journeyman, so we definitely are a working family, and we know what it means when there's a layoff or work is slow and how devastating that can be to your family. And so this is an issue I take very seriously. I tried my very first session in the assembly to start a paper caucus to really look at the sustainability of the paper industry going forward, because so much of what happens down in Madison is really reactive. When a company announces they're going to close, all of a sudden it's scrambling to find money to keep them here versus really looking at these companies before they get to that point to say, what do they need truly to be sustainable and stay here rather than just kind of throwing money at the problem last minute? And so I am proud that the Paper Caucus is up and running this session in a bipartisan fashion to really look at that industry and start having deeper discussions across the aisle about what's going to be happening in that industry. I did put forward the Paper Makers Fund bill, which would kind of address and start getting to the heart of what really, again, is the paper industry facing? What changes do we need to be making and supporting in that industry to really make it sustainable? And again, not just throwing sort of money last minute at it when it's already gotten too far down the line. So this, uh, this election, it's, gonna, it's, it's heating up. We spent the first couple segments of the show talking about President Trump and just the unbelievable last week we've experienced, but uh, clearly supercharging a political environment. Talk more about what you see going forward in 2020. Your district, right, this congressional seat is a challenge, right? It's You have an incumbent, and you have someone in Gallagher who, who um, attempts to portray himself as somewhat independent, right, and clearly seems to be trying to walk some sort of line of... Um, not really fully with the Republican Party, but as you talked about on the fundamental stuff where the votes and the rubber meets the road, pretty much votes 
uh, solid Republican. Talk about that dynamic and talk about that in the race. And I just the tremendous opportunity this cycle with uh, President Trump in, in a district like your congressional district. Yeah. Yeah, I think we really don't know what to expect with this cycle. I think it's really going to be different than what we have seen in the past. Certainly, this has a history of being a hard district these past few cycles. I think that a challenge is never a reason to say no and step away. I'm ready to step up and take on that challenge. And I do think it's really important we get out there and tell people about Mike Gallagher's record. Certainly, Mike Gallagher is a nice guy. I've met him in person. He is nice. But the truth is, is that his votes do not reflect somebody who is really being an advocate for this district, somebody who has not called out what is happening with the tariffs and how that's hurting our manufacturers and our farmers here, somebody who has voted against people with pre-existing conditions, somebody who has not called out the president on the comments he has been making and the things that are happening in Washington. We really need somebody who is going to stand up and really be a champion for the people here and not just tout the party line because it helps them along. And so I, it's really going to be about getting out there, talking to the people, making sure they feel heard, getting out in the district, because, again, that's another thing is that Mike Gallagher is never here. He's not here holding town halls regularly. In fact, he didn't hold them at all his first session. So really showing that difference between somebody who's here and listening and somebody who is not here and who's more worried about Washington and their district. Um, you know, next segment, we're going to be talking to Kevin Kane. Uh, who's been organizing in the Driftless. And one of the things that he always brings up is that we have a lot of folks in this state, and I imagine in the district that you're running in, who voted for President Obama and then maybe <coughs> voted for President Trump or stayed home. Maybe they, vote for, maybe they voted for Gallagher. Um, and it's really interesting. And one of the things I want to ask you, I know we only have a couple minutes left, but... Uh, one of the things that we talked about at the top of the show when you know Matt mentioned we talked about the Republican Party, specifically we were talking about the racialized attacks coming out of the Republican Party. And you know the, the issue that we see most often um, having that come up in Wisconsin is around immigration, right? And whether it's uh, separating families in, you know, through deportation here, whether it's what's happening at the border, that comes up a lot. And I imagine that that's one, you, you mentioned we don't know what to expect from the cycle, but I imagine that's one thing that we could pretty safely expect, that from the top of the ticket um, on the Republican side, we're going to be hearing a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric. And I wonder, you know, when you, you put that in the context of Wisconsin and Wisconsin voters, folks who did vote for President Obama, folks who are focused on, you know, health care, like you mentioned, jobs, like you mentioned, you know, w what is your take on how you go about, you know, being true to your values and immigration and, and winning in this seat? Well, I think it's about reminding people that when they are out there, using this racist language and trying to get their base going by using children and people as political tools that most people here in Wisconsin and especially Northeast Wisconsin are really, again, they're more worried about how they're affording their medicine today and how their kids are going to be able to afford college. So reminding people about those issues and how there's been a failure of leadership there at all levels in Washington, whether it's in Congress or the president, to really address those issues that they're too busy being divisive. They're too busy 
using people as political pawns, that they're not really addressing those real issues. And I do think people get that. I already am hearing that as I'm out and about in the district. So if we have uh, listeners, and I'm sure we do, uh, who want to get involved, who want to who want to help your campaign, um, tell them what they should do, because I think there's probably a, a large number. We have a huge listenership in your area. And again, for people who don't know, we're talking about Northeast uh, Wisconsin is where this congressional district is. Appleton, uh, uh, northern parts of the Fox Valley, into Ottagamy, up Green Bay, and then it runs up along uh, uh, near the uh, Green Bay area on... Uh, on, on, on both the west and east side, if I'm correct. Um, so tell us how folks who live in that area should get involved and in, if they want to help you out. Sure. They can go to amandastuck.com where they can donate, which is crucial. Part of the reason why I am starting so early is because I am not wealthy and well-connected to special interests. So to raise the money I'll need, I need everybody to donate what they can. I also need people to sign up there to volunteer. As we get going more in the fall here, we'll be needing people to get out there and knock doors and help spread our message with us. Well, folks, please get involved. Help out Amanda. This is, I mean, first of all, great leadership to jump in and run in this race. And uh, you're exactly the kind of leader we need. So uh, folks, please get involved. Amanda, thanks so much for taking the time to join us uh, today and talk about your campaign. All right, thank you so much for having me. All right, you have a great weekend. Well, we're, we're obviously, we really appreciate uh, Representative Stuck joining us. We've got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are joined by one of our intrepid, intrepid leaders here at Citizen Action. That's our organizer, Kevin Kane, who I think a lot of our listeners know has helped uh, lead our effort to build organizing co-ops throughout the state. And uh, Kevin is here to talk some more about some new news around co-ops and work he's been up to. Kevin, it's great to have you uh, back here on the Battleground, Wisconsin. Morning, everyone. So, Kevin, tell our listeners uh, why we're having you on in terms of you've been doing some amazing work in terms of trying to build an organizing cooperative in the Driftless area, uh, part of the Driftless area. It's a huge area in southwestern Wisconsin. Um, but... Uh, out of that organizing, there's some interesting work that's uh, sprung out of it related to utilities uh, and renewable energy. Can tell our listeners more about it and why they and why and how they should get involved, particularly if they live in the Driftless area. So, in southwestern, western, south central Wisconsin, kind of collectively, we're going to call it the Driftless area, although it does go from the Illinois border all the way up to uh, southwest of Eau Claire uh, and into other states. Uh, we started uh, looking and realizing that this was a major part of the state that we, we had individual supporters and a couple of Citizen Action co op members. We didn't really um, dig deep into the area yet. And that's a problem because. In uh, Wisconsin, there are a number of counties, especially smaller, medium-sized rural ones, that have a history of voting twice for Obama and then voting for Trump. They're known in the political circles as pivot counties. And the Driftless is home to 13 different pivot counties.
counties. I mean, everything from Grant County to the Southwest, all the way up to uh, Pierce County and, and Buffalo County and all that. Um, and we realized that if we were serious about trying to prevent Trump from winning Wisconsin again, well, we darn sure better pay attention to a lot of the small communities that used to be pro-progressive, uh, used to be pro-Obama and all that. Yeah, what you're essentially saying is there is no pathway to holding political power in the state if we don't have organization and political seats in the Driftless area. And this is an area where, as you mentioned, uh, Democratic candidates will carry it often presidentially, do very well. But we have n not in decades had state... Le uh, it's been a while since we've had a state senator, and most of those state assembly seats in those areas have gone Republican. Uh, in spite of these areas being, quite frankly, heavily contested areas, uh, but also challenging geographically to get around. It's very spread out. It's hilly. There's no uh, easy way to get around. So talk more about like how, how, how this is going. Sure. So we started uh, asking people a little while ago, what would they be most interested in us organizing to uh, change in, in the area? And very quickly, we got into topics of health care, health care for all, Medicaid expansion, but also the flooding. And we don't necessarily see it as much in southeastern Wisconsin or, or even uh, northern Wisconsin, but in southwestern, south central, western Wisconsin, these floods, these these storms exacerbated by climate change have really just devastated large chunks of, of urban and rural western and south central Wisconsin. Everything from Dane County to La Crosse County and even outside of those two uh, have seen all sorts of horror stories about floods, uh, destroying communities, damaging homes, uh, robbing counties that are using uh, the resources for, for um, uh, relief efforts, and... Uh, you know, churches that have suddenly become uh, barracks for volunteers trying to rebuild, people living in state parks because their home has been destroyed. My own cousin was evicted, or um, excuse me, was, was his place was condemned and had to live out of a hotel for a while. So we started thinking, what could we do about trying to address this? Because it did not take much effort to start showing people, hey, when you... Um, have multiple once-in-a-lifetime floods in your region, there's probably something going on with the climate here. And so people don't need to be convinced of this. They know it. They are the front lines in many ways of what climate change is going to mean for our state here in Wisconsin. And so we started figuring out what can we try to do to address that. And we started looking at whose responsibility is it to try to rebuild and build stronger and prevent these disasters from happening in the future or at least being as bad. And before long, we started realizing that there are large entities, economic entities, that are in this region that go beyond city and go beyond county. And some of them we noticed were uh, the, the utilities throughout the area. And there's a lot. In, in Western, in this driftless area, there are 40 different electric utilities wow. in, in this area. Big ones like Excel and Alliant, and small ones like Reedsburg Municipal and uh, Scenic Rivers Electric Cooperative. And we realized that a lot of these areas we're home to what are known as rural electric cooperatives, created during the New Deal um, and, and covering western Wisconsin. One out of ten Wisconsinites is covered by one of these rural electric cooperatives, something that started as this progressive entity designed, uh, um, created to help advance the interests of working uh, rural peoples. Uh, but now places like Onalaska, which can be considered more of a suburb, is still covered by, by these areas. And so we started um, thinking, what could we do to try to draw attention to this? And we believe we found an opportunity to encourage utilities to be much more green and rebuild homes. So explain how that would work and, and what are you asking and, and organizing around and, and for our listeners, how might they be able to get involved? Sure. 
we discovered that there is a, a large amount of federal money out there for utilities to start rebuilding homes and businesses, not at the individual's expense, but the utility would be paying the upfront cost of creating green jobs, insulating, weatherizing homes, windows, solar, water heaters, all these sort of things. There's a U.S. Department of Agriculture program uh, called the Rural Energy Savings Program, although, to be fair, their definition of rural is a heck of a lot bigger than most of us would consider rural. Uh, and we realized that if we could convince these utilities to apply for this, they could be the ones creating uh, green jobs in rural and urban and small town communities throughout their region that would rebuild homes, that would, that would uh, make them much more climate resilient, that would repair after the floods. Because today, if you wanted to get a solar panel or if you wanted to get uh, new windows on your building, you're probably getting a loan or you're probably putting a bunch out of pocket. And if you rent or if you don't think you're going to live there for more than five years, there's little incentive to do it. It may not pay back. But a number of people said, look, the utility companies aren't going to move anytime soon. And the person who lives in the building should be the one helping to, to, to um, take advantage of it and help make it happen. And so a number of utilities outside Wisconsin started offering programs where they are the ones that pay for the upfront costs of rebuilding, of building stronger, of building energy efficient. Um, but no one in Wisconsin has. Well, I take that back. One has Madison Gas and Electric on behalf of corporate clients. And so we said, if this playbook is already there, let's make this possible for all of these this area. Let's rebuild stronger. Let's at, take this federal dollars, and let's figure out how to organize around it. So if people want to say, say first of all, l let folks know a little bit about where you're organizing in the Driftless and how they should get in touch with you if they want to get involved in helping build this uh, organizing cooperative, work on this issue and or others, right? We're going to continue to work on health care. Uh, too, but let folks know how to get involved. So right now we are spending a lot of our time in the smaller town communities of uh, La Crosse, Juneau, Sauk, uh, Vernon, Crawford, Richland, and Dane. I'm not talking big cities like Madison or La Crosse, although there are people who have been supportive of this. I'm talking smaller places like Richland Center, Onalaska, Westby, Viroqua, um, we have a, a Reedsburg. We have a lot of people who are very interested in helping to rebuild their communities, and, and they know there are plenty of progressives there, and they often feel left out. And so our goal now is to cast a wide net and identify as many people who can encourage their utility company to know that we are paying attention to whether they apply for this federal USDA money by the September 30th deadline. So it doesn't matter if you live in the small community of uh, Fenimore, or it doesn't matter if you live in a much larger community like Dane County or even, or excuse me, uh, La Crosse or even Madison. The most effective way you can help now, besides reaching out to us, is to go to, we, we've put up an online petition uh, that directly contacts the, your utility company. And you tell us which utility company that you are a part of, and we'll send this, this information to them so that they know we are paying attention, that their consumers are paying attention. And to access that, you would go to www.citizenactionwifund.org slash power. One more time, that's www.citizenactionwifund.org slash power. And you can not only sign it, see a video explaining everything I'm just saying, but also there's tons of tools to share it. And afterwards, if you're interested in learning more about joining our organizing co-op, so we have a permanent presence there negotiating with these utilities to be greener and, and more job creating, we'd love to work with you. Well, Kevin, we uh, want to thank you for taking the time to come in today, talk more about this, but also for just all your hard work and effort that you put in to try to organize a co-op. This is a very exciting organizing model, and uh, it's, we hope, help change the state over time so that 
the stuff that we're complaining about, uh, we're talking a lot about Trump today, uh, that we can, we can actually change this and actually hold power in this state so in 10 years things will look different. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone. All right. So with that, we are going to be wrapping up this podcast, but I do want to say we'll have a link to the petition. We'll also have Kevin's contact info if you want to get involved and uh, join the new co-op in the Driftless area. But we have to wrap up the podcast, and we want to uh, thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the podcast happen every week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, next week, looks like we are going to be off next week. Uh, uh, Summer vacation. I'm actually taking my son to uh, Dirt Track Nationals for racing, and Robert's still on vacation. And Rebecca's probably going to be touring another state, solving uh, solving all of our problems. But with that, we will wrap it up. Uh, you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We'll talk to you in two weeks.